I confess, my boyfriend is so sexy that after two years together, he still takes my breath away. I'm happy that he and my husband are friends as well. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better than that. This podcast is intended for those 18 and over. If that's not you, please check out scarletine.com and come back to this podcast when you are of age. Thank you for downloading the Bedpost Confessions podcast. Bedpost Confessions is an Austin, Texas-based monthly reading and performance series about sex, sensuality, and the steamy side of life. Between performers, we ask audience members to anonymously submit anything worthy of a confession, which is then read aloud by one of our producers. The performance you're about to hear by Sarah Gray was recorded on February 9th, 2012. Sarah will be reading an honest account of a relationship, which she calls too much. Here is Sarah. All right. One day... I learned that life's highest peaks can bear an uncanny resemblance to its blackest trenches. Their experiences so beautiful that witnessing their end makes you wish that they had never happened in the first place. Nothing prepared me for this truth, that there are things so good that they wound. The thing I remember most vividly about that first night with him was the mess of colors all over my body. I had yellowish-green and purple-blue bite-shaped bruises all over my breasts, stomach, and thighs, the result of an S&M experimentation I'd had only two days before. The taste of my desperation was too much for the dominant in question. He chewed me up and spit me out and, via email and email the next morning, told me that our interactions were over. What drove me hyperventilating on one man's floor soon led me, after a long, whiskey-fueled night playing pool, into the arms of another. Sickly yellow-green, lurid blue, and reddish-brown, too, as I was also on my period. <laughs> and as my new lover kissed me and asked shyly if he could remove my bra, I felt yet more embarrassment. Not only could he see the marks of another man's teeth all over my skin, but the telltale lump of the menstrual pad between my legs. I hadn't planned on all this. <laughs> The drunken run through Town Lake Park at 2 a.m. chasing my new friend's dog. The kiss at 4 a.m. The delicate movements of his hands, hands so large that I could wrap my fist around his thumb and feel as if I had teeny, tiny baby fingers. I told him what had happened. I apologized for menstruating. <laughs> <laughs> to both things, he neither cared nor minded. He got me a towel to lay on. Good guy. My stale blood was sticky rust on our thighs. We were both too tired to be good at sex. I kept falling asleep as he kissed me with his gentle, soft lips. Yeah, it was a long night, man. It was a beginning of what neither of us could have ever guessed. Days, or maybe weeks later, it happened. It was a Saturday afternoon. We hid ourselves in his room and smoked a bowl of hydro. We did that cutesy thing that pothead lovers do where you know we take turns inhaling a hit so we could slowly blow it into each other's mouths. This, of course, led to kissing. Some of what soon occurred can be explained by facts. He had a large cock and a near autistic focus on my body's cues. 
Whereas I had a very high pain tolerance and a desperate desire to make him happy. Yet, as anyone who's been to the mountaintop knows, what's there is much more than the sum of its parts. My arousal reached a pulsing plateau as his cock found a rhythm that was neither too hard, nor too erratic, nor too deep. I lay on my back and sighed, this is bliss, as he fucked me. <laughs> Those were the last words I said. This rhythm continued. Sentences turned to blurted words, then groans, and then to silence. Something was budding within me, not the familiar crescendo of orgasm, or at least not the kind I was used to. I felt organless, boneless, as if I were nothing but a grate encasing warmth from the bottom of my feet to the swell of my belly. There was a high, panicky feeling within that warmth as well, a hysterical physical whine that my brain smartly labeled as, he is stimulating my prostate before it, too, was hushed by our panting breaths. We kept to this steady march of bodies, sweat soon running in rivers down his chest and onto my cunt, which was stretched so wide. A long time went by. Hours? What was time? At some point, the bed's box frame broke with a shudder. We didn't notice. He took each of my feet into his great hands and spread his arms wide like Christ on the cross. My legs spread eagled, forming a precise equilateral triangle. He suddenly drove the rhythm harder and his cock slapped my cervical wall as if it were the thin skin of a drum. I felt, I felt a sweetly unendurable pain that I couldn't possibly survive. Up to this point in my life, I'd had plenty of good sex. Yet even during the most enthusiastic sex, I'd been, always been aware of myself, as if a camera were discreetly filming me and beaming images back into my brain. This is you talking dirty. This is you giving head. This is you moaning sexily. <laughs> even in the midst of an orgasm, I was still in control of my thoughts and reactions, normally. But now, that camera had been smashed. I no longer moaned on cue. Whatever part of me that cared about that I was drooling, like, it was broken. I saw things. C concentric circles formed around our heaving bodies in a mandala that contained us, the earth three floors below, and the limitless atmosphere above. Within these circles swam undulating snake-like creatures and letters I didn't know how to read. The screams that left me were like the pounding of my heart or my cunt's stuttering grasp. I did not will them. These were not porno bleats of pleasure. I sounded like a murder. <laughs> it was terrifying. And I didn't want it to stop, not ever. After, as I lay in his arms, I tried to put this impossible experience into words. And the best I could manage was, that was... Oh, what? I, I, it, it keeps going. He replied, don't tell me, show me. His fingers stroking my arm made me come again. I came steadily for an hour. We never saw that mountaintop again, though it wasn't for lack of trying. We smoked pot until our throats ached, and I fucked him until my hips gave out. 
The sex was still incredible, though, so much so that my hands shook when I touched him. I never knew certain blinding pleasures such as this. I, in his arms, I felt a complete assurance of every desire fulfilled without me ever having to ask or explain anything. Rapture kept me blind, but it didn't deafen me to cognitive dissonance. This man who made me feel utterly helpless and totally held was a person who didn't know how to talk to me when we weren't in bed. Our conversations were stilted and boring. We had very little in common. Sleepy on pot and beer, I silently watched him play video games for hours since I didn't know what else to do or what to say to him. There were fights, resentments, pleading arguments. I took his dissatisfaction and loneliness as a personal insult and tried ever harder to fulfill what I assumed were his needs. Just as he binged on Maker's Mark and vomited into his sink at a party, I binged on sex with him, keeping awake each of his various roommates with my screens, roommates whom I couldn't look in the eye the next morning. How could it be that this thing that we had together, this thing that was far too much, why wasn't it enough? It brought me low. I grew jealous and obsessed. I couldn't bear to think of him making another woman scream like the way he did me, and yet I cheated on him with another man first and only time I have ever cheated on anyone. I resented him so much for having this undeniable physical pull over me. I hated myself for being so enthralled to a pleasure I could never refuse. We broke up several times, and between each time the other men I saw were like methadone, syrupy medicines that I drank to take off the creeping inevitable edge of despair. And yet every time he and I got back together and he held me again, I wept breathlessly. I wept for joy. The highs we gave each other were unmatchable, but doing so left us weakened and ill, surrounded by the trash of feelings that we had tried unsuccessfully to ignore. Fulfillment led only to deeper, unanswerable needs. We tried being just friends and failed, because every time we were in the same room with each other, every time we were in the same room with each other, the crackling awareness of each other's bodies led us back into nakedness and back to tears. We no longer speak. We shouldn't. We can't. And we never really could. And so, here I am, speaking to all of you lovely people. I'm not sure what message I'm trying to tell you with this story of mine. Um, this is not a vindictive against him, as he was just as helpless as, and hapless as I was in the throes of this thing that briefly bound us. There's something here about addiction, yes? There's a sickness that occurs when there's a need to grasp at pleasure and never let it go. As my former lover once instructed, I wish I could just show you instead of telling you. The best I can do is to quote J.R.R. Tolkien, of all people. One ring will bind them, no. No, it's a little different than that. <clears throat> Beautiful and terrible as the dawn, treacherous as the sea. I stand here before you because I experienced a dawn that was beautiful and terrible. It lit up the sky with a rosy light, and it warmed a dark, cold, and lonely earth. But that light presaged the start of another day closer to the end of all days. Ecstasy is real, and its teeth are sharp. It swims unseen beneath what we do every day. And you will never know when it will come close to you, 
or how long it might stay, or what it will take, or what it will leave you. Everything we do here on this stage concerns it. We talk about it. We try to understand it. We maybe even try to tame it. But it cannot be caught. So let us watch for it, then. And if we see it, let us regard it with the awe it deserves. Thank you. Sarah has lived in the Austin area for 13 years. By day, she works for a natural history museum, purchasing taxidermy and answering calls about dinosaur eggs. By night, she writes. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Mia Martina, of the I Want Your Sex podcast at miaontop.com, Sadie Smythe of thatswhatsadiesaid.com, Julie Gillis of juliegillis.com, and Rosie Q of sayprettybird.blogspot.com. Podcast audio production by Ian Danskin. You can find links to all of our websites and more information about Bedpost Confessions at bedpostconfessions.com. You can also confess with us at Bedpost Confessions on Facebook and Bedpost Confess on Twitter, where we tweet audience confessions. Chime in and add yours. Until next time, we'll leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. I confess, I want each and every one of the Bedpost producers at least once. A sweet one, a hard one, a laughing one, and a wild card. Because I like surprises. What, which one is I, which? I don't know. I don't. You know what the surprise is? Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. We are all of those We things. are all of those. We are, we are every woman. <laughs> I confess, I had sex in front of your apartment complex's gym, and a homeless man totally watched for a bit. I confess I once had to go to the doctor to be treated for severe tennis elbow after a marathon masturbation session. <laughs> she asked me what I had done to injure my arm. I lied. <laughs> what I love about this story is it's the arm that gets injured. Yeah. Like this? The entire, yeah. The entire arm. You really, it's real hard to break this. You know? It's true. It's true. It's a good demo. Thanks. Have you done that? I pulled something just doing yeah, that. Yeah. Just doing that. <laughs> just doing that, I hurt myself. <laughs>